principles, uh, we would do the best job we can. Now, there is no guarantee. You're dealing with a human being. And I'm going to talk about that in a, in a little bit near the end. Uh, but there's no guarantees. It's just how do I be the best influence? And so the first principle I shared with you is what is the point of parenting? And the point of parenting is to make our priority, our number one priority is to help our children, to help our children make Jesus their number one priority. That's what it's all about. You can do everything else, but if they don't trust in Jesus, what have they got? Now, you can't make them trust in Jesus. You can want it. You can pray for it. You can long for it. But the only thing we can do is influence them. And by trust in Jesus, I mean this, that every person on the face of this earth, earth has to come to a point where they recognize that they are sinful, that only the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ can pay for that sin, and then choose to repent and follow Jesus, to ask for forgiveness of sins and choose to repent and follow Jesus. That's what it means to make Jesus the priority of your life. And once you enter into a relationship with Jesus, just like when you enter into a relationship in marriage, it doesn't end with a prayer, it starts there. And then it's a process of learning to follow him and obey him as you walk through life. And so that's our number one priority as parents, help them settle that issue to the best we can. Now, another thing we have that God has given us, the second principle is our superpower that as parents, we're the most influential human on earth in their lives. Now, the most influ influential human in their life is Jesus. He's at work all the time from the time they're zero till they die. But we as parents are the most influential humans on earth in the lives of our children. And we need to steward that time well. But we need to know what we do, our voice, our modeling, how we live impacts them more than anything else. Even when they say, I hate you. Yeah, sometimes I hate me too. But I'm still your parent. The third thing is, so those first two were just general guidelines, principles, tracks to run on. God calls us to lead our kids to Christ. He makes us the biggest influence in life. But then he gives us two tools. And I, last week I talked about discipline. And discipline is necessary. Discipline is necessary for any successful endeavor in life. Anyone. And discipline is the tool in which we use to drive foolishness out of the heart of our child and allow wisdom to replace it because the foolish reject God, the wise seek God. And so discipline, and I talked about discipline. Now the final one, the final tool is time. Time. Time maximizes influence. And absence minimizes it. Time maximizes your influence as a parent. The more time you spend with your children, the more influential you become. And absence minimizes your influence. In fact, your children become, you, if you're absent too much, they become bitter at you. Time maximizes your positive influence. 
Now, if discipline is one of the tools that drives uh, foolishness out of the heart of our child, then time is our chance to deposit the wisdom. But like that great theologian, Gollum said, it's tricksy. Time is... Now, if you're not a Lord of the Rings fan, you don't know who Gollum is, but time is tricksy. And I want to just talk about that for a second. Time is tricksy because some of the most, in fact, I would say the most impactful times with our children are not planned. You know, I fell into that little, uh, uh, well, I'll, I'll plan quality time with my kid. It doesn't work that way. You, you got to just be there and quality time happens. I, I remember this uh, illustration it was of a pastor, a well-known pastor from the 1800s. And he had a big church going on and he had an itinerant ministry. He was very busy traveling a lot. And so one day he was home in his study and his son came in and his son was just little and his, like, like nine or 10 or something like that and his son said dad you promised when you got back you would take me fishing and he he thought to himself I'm so busy right now I got so many things going on I don't have the time to go take a whole day fishing but then his guilt hit him and he said I did tell him I would do that and so he put his pen down and got up and he took his son fishing and so later on a biographer who was writing about his life and had access to this pastor's journal that he would write down you know of his days he thought I, I, I'll look at the journal and see what I can learn. And he came across this day where the, the, the pastor, this f famous pastor wrote, spent the whole day fishing with my son, wasted time. That was what he wrote because he had so many things to do, he just wasted time fishing. And so he thought, the, the biographer thought, I wonder what the son, who was also now a well-known preacher, I wonder what the son wrote. And the son wrote of that day, spent the whole day fishing with my dad. I've decided I'm going to follow Jesus and go in ministry. I've never forgotten that illustration. The times that we have laughed the hardest, the times that we have had the deepest conversations, the times that we've enjoyed one another's presence the most have always been almost 90% unplanned. You just have to be there. And then they happen. Now that's not to say you don't plan things. I'm just saying the most impactful moments are largely the most unplanned moments. See, time is tricksy. You can't plan the important things, the influential things. But you can plan to be there. And so it takes time. Time. You just spend time. And good things happen. So that's the first thing. It's tricksy because you can't plan. It's also tricksy because relationship takes copious amounts of time. Have you come across that? Your marriage takes copious amounts of time to make it strong and good. Your parenting, your work, your health, they take copious amounts of time and parenting is no different. It just takes lots and lots of time to build a strong relationship with your child and relationship is how truth is best delivered. Did you know? You know that that's why when I knock at your neighbor's door and they don't meet, know me from Adam and I offer to pray for them, they go, no, thanks. But when you go over and ask them to pray, pray for them, they go, yeah, sure. Because they trust you. They know you. Relationship. Truth is best delivered in relationship. Always. 
So relationship takes copious amounts of time. So a good friend of mine, he was a godly man. He was an elder. Um, his daughter went nuts at 19. It was like a, flip, uh, a switch flipped. And she, she accused him of abusing her and then ran away from home. And now later she said it was all a lie. Uh, I don't even know what made the switch flip, but it did. And then she moved uh, north of Toronto about 90 minutes. Well, my friend happened to be doing a project in Toronto, and so was there through the weekdays. And he decided that he would drive 90 minutes north and then have supper with his child, his daughter, and then drive 90 minutes back every Tuesday night. And he made that a regular part of his life. Well, at first, she, there were times when she'd say, oh, yeah, I'll be there, and wouldn't be there. He'd drive 90 minutes, eat alone, drive 90 minutes back. But eventually, over the months, she started to come and come every Tuesday night. And if she couldn't, she would phone him. But he always was there every Tuesday night. Drove through the traffic up north, then drove back down every Tuesday night. This went on for, for more than a year. It went on for months. And then one Tuesday night, he was having supper with her. And she said, Daddy, I want to come home. And he'd been watching her. She was losing weight. She was gone, sallow. And he knew that the guy that she was living with was using her. And, and uh, he, it just killed him. But he went there every Tuesday night. And then she said, Daddy, I want to come home. He had invested time into a relationship that she didn't even want initially. And he kept investing time, investing time, investing time, being there, being there, being there, being there. And when she was ready to turn back to God and back to her family, who did she tell? The one who was there. In fact, my friend always said this. This was the thing I remember him most for. Time plus communication equals relationship. You need to spend time. You need to communicate if you want relationship. If you want relationship with your spouse, time plus communication. If you want relationship with your kids, time plus communication. If you want relationship with anybody at work or on a sports team or in your neighborhood, time plus communication and you'll have relationship. You can't help it. This, by the way, is, uh, is why most affairs happen from work. Is because when you spend, you, most affairs happen and they, the, person going, the two people going into them never thought that that was ever happened, but they began to have time together and communicate and it got so that they really began to enjoy the person and appreciate and respect the person and soon emotions started to follow and then things maybe at home weren't that great and then things here were great and began to look forward to going to work and that relationship got more and more and more important. The emotional needs were being met and next thing you know it just seemed natural and often that process is over years not a week because always time plus communication will bring a relationship and so if you want to have a relationship with your child you're going to have to spend time with them and communicate with them and in those times see point one some amazing things happen that were totally unplanned so it's tricksy because you can't plan impactful situations very often. They happen unplanned. But time is tricksy too because uh, it's required, copious amounts of it are required to build a relationship. And here's another reason time is tricksy. 
you know, I, I usually when I preach, I have a whole lot of scripture. And I, I, you know, as I went through scripture, I go, it talks about time a lot, but it doesn't. Time is just implied through all of scripture. There's some great passages like Ecclesiastes. There's time for everything. Uh, the word time is used a lot. But the impact of time is not, it's not uh, exegeted in a text. It's shown in the life of its characters. And by the way, it was time with God in the, gen- in the garden in Genesis that we lost and that we are regaining through redemption. And in the end times, we will be restored and reconciled to have time with God. It's one of the driving themes of scripture. And then David in Psalm 39 says this, show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know or remind me how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere handbreadth, meaning small, short. The span of my years is nothing before you. Remember, Peter picks up that idea. One day with the Lord is a thousand years, a thousand years is a day, but our days are short compared to the eternity that surrounds God. Every one of my days is but a breath, even those who seem secure. Surely everyone goes around like a mere phantom. In vain they rush about, heaping up wealth without knowing whose it will finally be. Time, it's fleeting, it's brief, it's quick. See, that's the tricksy thing about time, is it goes by like that, and then it's too late. And then it's too late. Now, I agree with Jelan that as we start today with a fresh slate, But keep in mind, today will go quickly, and so will the next weeks and months and years. And if we don't take advantage of it now, and well, it's always in our parents, well, someday, well, someday, well, someday, someday will come. And we will have missed large gaps of time and opportunity to influence our kids. Now, I just want to stop here for a second because I, am a, I, I believe we need to be balanced in this. I believe I needed to work hard as a pastor, and so I designated 50 hours a week. That would be... I was working 70, 80, thinking that was what a good pastor would do, and a neighbor who wasn't even a Christian said, Ed, your kids are going to be gone before you know it, and you will regret the amount of time you spent at work. So early on, thank God that he brought my neighbor into my life to correct me gently and uh, Crystal helped me and some books helped me. And so I decided if if you're struggling with this issue, Andy Stanley's Choosing to Cheat is a great book to read. Andy Stanley, Choosing to Cheat. I have enough time for work and that's it. So that then I can have time with my family, my wife and my kids and the other things I put in my life like exercise, sleep. But it goes by quickly. And so Moses, in Psalm 90, he, uh, he prayed this, 
teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to know. It's not teach us, to, Lord, how many days we're going to live. It's like teach us that today I have today. And teach me that my life goes quickly. It goes fast. Our lives speed along. Now, you know that saying for young moms. Long days, quick years. I get it. Well, no, I don't get it. I was at work. Crystal gets it. <laughs> the days are long. Especially when your kids are little. But they sure speed up when they become teenagers. And you want to talk about jet fueled when they're adults. So Moses says, teach us to recognize, to number our days, to, to recognize that our lives move quickly and to put into effect things that will help us to use our days well, that we don't waste them. I thought about that. I thought, how, how do we use our days well? Now, I'm not saying we used all our days well. I, we make mistakes, and you've heard me talk about some of my mistakes as a parent. But we learn through other parents that were ahead of us. We learn through books. We learn through sermons and other teachers that taught. And we kind of structure. We realize we have a cheat when it comes to numbering our days and using them well. And that is the structure we put into our days. Because how we organize our days determines if we have time with the people that really matter most in our lives. And so daily, we, we had learned through time, it took us some time and took some people telling us, we learned that eating supper at night was really important for our family. I would say, whether it's eating breakfast or lunch or supper, it doesn't matter what meal it is, that you gather around together every day. They, well, Crystal brought in this highs and lows. If you've, if you've ever been to supper with Crystal, she'll say, tell us, tell me your highs and lows. And you could, I could see our boys, that, you know, when they got older, like, she'd go, tell me your highs, every night, every night, she would say, tell us your highs and lows. And you go, oh, you know, could see them. But they would share. And we would learn about one another, what happened in the day, what was going on, what they were facing. And sometimes you just pick up a hint of what's going on and you go, I'm just going to, I'm just going to talk about that a little later today. That's where we laughed. That's where we read the Bible together. That's where we prayed together. It wasn't long. Like we didn't have, you know, two hour suppers with one hour devotions. We had like five, 10 minute devotions, depending on how old they were. And we spent time together around that. That was a centering, stable time of their lives. Every night, I belong to this family and we meet together. And it's one of those things that doing it once or twice a week won't, ha won't cut it. You need to have time together as a family. Another daily thing that we did was uh, Crystal's mom. This shocked us. Crystal's mom said, you know, it's really important that somebody is home when your kids come home from school, especially when they're teenagers. <laughs> I thought the older they get, the more independent they get. And then Crystal could go off to work and full time and it'd be fine. And uh, we began to see, as they were in uh, elementary public school, we began to see that, that they would come home off the bus and um, they would want to talk then. And it didn't lessen when they got older. It increased because the pressures on them increased. 
And after school, after a whole day of school, and whatever they went through, whether good or bad, they would come home and they would want to talk. Now, Crystal's a baker. I mean, she's a really good baker. And so almost every day they had something, like, you want to please a boy, give him something good to eat, and he's happy, man. <laughs> and uh, she would have something, some sort of snack for them, and then she would just sit down and talk to them. And then there was times when they'd come back, you know, they were in different schools and different sports, they would come in at different times, and she would talk to each one of them. And she said, it wasn't happening every day, but that was the time that they would open up about what was going on in their day. Just her and them. And so we organized our lives so that Crystal could be there when they got out of school. It's just what we did. Because it was so important. And then the other thing we structured into our day was I put them to bed at night. Now, once they got older, you know, when they were 22, they didn't want me coming in and tucking them in and stuff like that. But especially from very young to, well, even when they were teenagers, I, I, well, first when they were younger, I would go in and I would sit down and um, so, Brett and I, my youngest, would play a game. Of, like he'd go, I'd say, go brush your teeth and, and, and go to the bathroom, get ready for bed. And then he'd come in his room, I'd be hiding on him. And he would try to find me and I'd try to scare him. And then it got to him hiding. And when I come up the stairs, he'd hide on me and scare me. And so this, this always took a few moments. It was just something we did. I don't know why. I never did it with the other boys. I just did it with him. And we'd laugh. And then I'd put them to bed. And I'd put all of them to bed when they were younger. And then I would pray with them. I would I'd talk to them. That was the time they would talk to me if they were going to talk to me. Didn't happen every night. But boy, there was a lot of nights. They, I would say, how was school? And then they would tell me about something they were facing. And then I'd talk with them, I'd pray with them. I always told them I love them, shut the door. And when I, it was like the book ending of their day. They're, they were safe, they were secure, they had a dad who was praying over them and protecting them, and they felt at peace. And they got all that stuff off. Those three, you do those three things, that's structuring time into your family. So if you still have your kids, now when they got older, I would just poke my head in the door. How's everything? Are you guys okay? How's it going? Okay, good night. Love you. Bang, shut the door. Now, that, you do a daily thing like that, that gives you time when they're open to talk. C.1, time is tricksy because the most significant events are often unplanned. And the greatest conversations are often the ones... Let's come into my office, sit down. We're going to talk about how your heart is. Never really got much response from that one. Another uh, way to th not only think daily, there were three things we instituted into our lives. Again, it wasn't like we knew to do this. We prayed, we talked to people, we read books. I'm not that smart. Except I'm smart enough to pray, talk to other people, and read books. Which you're smart enough to do. The second thing we did is we thought weekly. Now, this is where I failed. I really do believe I failed in this. Because I missed a golden opportunity, but we're trying to recover it. And that is, each week we would have chores for the boys. You want to talk about a fight fest. Man, <laughs> make your kids do chores. But we persevered through that because we thought it was teaching them something, I guess. And besides, I didn't want to do all the work myself. But I ended up paying for it emotionally because I had to rustle them down and get them to do it. But eventually they learned how to do their jobs and they would do them well. And that was just a regular feature. They still talk and laugh about doing their chores every Saturday. 
And so cleaning rooms, vacuuming, washing the car, uh, doing my sermons, you know, that kind of thing. That's what they would do. And um, uh, that was a good thing. We always went to church together every Sunday. That wasn't even, off the ta- that wasn't even up for discussion. I was talking to uh, Denver, my middle, and I said, why didn't you ever fight church? He goes, I didn't think I was allowed. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you probably weren't. I mean, the fact that I was the pastor had a whole lot to do with that, but... Uh, we went to church, but this is what we missed, and I wish I'd never see. I we miss Sabbathing together, and a Sabbath is one day a week uh, where you rest, you you devote the day to rest and worship. So I mean, another way to say it is, it's a time when you just focus on having fun, those things that regenerate you and renew you and you and your family, and you spend some time with God as a family in that. Now, if I were doing it myself, I would do it Saturday night through at, you know, supper time to Sunday night at supper time. Or I would pick like one night a week. If I was just starting this and I couldn't do the whole day, I would do one night a week. And my son, Denver, he actually is bringing it into his family and brought it back to our family. And so Crystal and I on Sunday nights, uh, or rather uh, Friday nights, because Sunday night's one of my busiest days, or Sunday's one of my busiest days, we put away the phones. The phones are gone. See, when, you, when that happens, this is what goes on. You're like, where's my phone? The phones are shut off. They don't have the ringer on and they're gone. We just know you can't get a hold of Denver and Kendall unless you go over to their house. Now they live in Minnesota, Minneapolis. We just don't go over. And so from, from Friday night to Saturday night, they put away the phones, shut down all screens. Uh, They don't use movies or games. Now, they might sometimes, but they've shut down the screens. There's something healthy about removing yourself from screens for 24 hours, but they they do that. And then Friday night, they just spend time as a family, and they celebrate, and they have fun together. They talk. Now their son is little, so it's not too long before he goes to bed. And then they just do something together, play a game. They might watch a movie, but they don't binge on movies or anything. They, uh, they go for walks with him. They just spend time together. They sleep in Saturday morning. They don't get up anytime soon, except for they got a little one, so he gets them up early. But then when he gets older, he'll sleep in too. And, and, and then they do something as a family. They spend a little time in devotions. And then the afternoon, they'll often read while he's sleeping and just relax. Anything, they, their guideline is anything that's restful, we will do. So for me, doing gardening would, is like work. But for you, that might be the best relaxing time of your week. And so whatever, that's the guy. There's no laws to the Sabbath. It's just, is it restful? And do you take time to be with God that you normally don't? That's why I said I would do it Saturday night to Sunday night if I could, because we do the with God thing right here. So you got it all planned. You don't even have to do anything. Just show up. It's amazing what a day together. Now, you know who does this really well? Dustin and Raquel Borland. If you are interested in doing this, how does this work with kids? How does it work out? What thing, kinds of things do you do? If you're interested in this, go talk to them. Because they do it well. I'm telling you, it's the one thing I wish I had done with my family, and I just didn't. It's incredibly revitalizing for your family. So think daily, think weekly, think yearly. And most of you already do this. 
vacations. They don't have to be expensive. They don't have to be crazy. I mean, here's a vacation idea. Pick five small towns in Northern Ontario and go stay at the cheapest hotel in each town. I'm telling you, your family will have stories you laugh at for the rest of your life. The week won't be very good, but the stories you get out of it will be unbelievable because the best, the, the, the most expensive vacations we ever took are not the ones we talk about. Ignore you. It's, the, it's what happened and what went wrong and how it was worked out and funny things that happened or hard things that happened. And so they don't, the vacation is just you're together on an adventure. And there's something about when you just know only you, it cements you as a family. And so pick things your kids like to do and go. You'll have enough time when you're my age to travel just yourself or you, if you have a spouse, travel yourself. You'll have enough time. But do stuff your kids love to do. It cemented us together. And then think special. Now, honestly, I don't know where we got this idea from. Again, it wasn't mine. I got it from somebody. I thought, this is a good idea. Probably crystals where I got it. Uh, at 8, 13, and 18, we would take them on a special trip. So at 8, I would take each boy on a trip. I would show up to their school when they were eight years old, whatever grade that was, grade three or four, something like that. I would show up at their school. They didn't know I was coming. And I would go to the office and they went to a smaller country school. And so uh, the, the, a teacher or the receptionist would go to the right to the classroom on the overhead speaker. Uh, the Reverend Fontaine is here to pick up his son and all this. You know what all the classmates did? Ooh, you're in your dad had to come to the school to get you. What did you do? So, uh, so I would take them and I'd put them in the car and we would drive to Toronto and I would take them to the Hockey Hall of Fame and a nice restaurant, like not Ruth Chris, but a nice restaurant. <laughs> and then, uh, to a hockey game or a Raptors game, depending which one they wanted. The oldest and youngest wanted hockey, the middle wanted basketball. Then I would drive home late at night and they'd get to sleep in. And then they would go to school late. And you know what every question their friends wanted to know was? Man, what happened to you? And then they would say, well, my dad surprised me, took me to Hockey Hall of Fame, a restaurant, and then a Leafs game last night. And every one of his friends would basically say, wow, you're so lucky, which being interpreted emotionally is, boy, your dad really loves you. Now, they would never say that. They would just say, you're so lucky. Which means your dad really cares about you. Then at 13, Crystal would take them on a trip of their choice for three days. Now, before I tell you the trips, understand, we lived near Detroit. We were two hours from Toronto, two hours from Detroit. That was the time Spirit Air was working, and it was a discount airline. I flew to Florida one time, Crystal and I, for $9 each way, because I was part of the $9 club. 
and if when they'd send out an email, if you nailed it, you could get the nine dollars. So I got now. Now I had to fly out at six o'clock in the morning and fly back at eleven o'clock at night. So Crystal and I flew in the in the morning, and then when we were flying back, we spurged a whole twenty-five dollars to get upgraded to the two thirty flight that was going out. So the total trip was somewhere like sixty-four dollars for both of us to fly return. So. I get it. You don't have it. And then I had, remember Priceline.com? Do you guys remember Priceline? When it came out, you could say, this room is for $250. I would bid 60 bucks and get it. Now, I don't know if those apps are still running. I don't know. I don't think Priceline.com works that way anymore. But understand, we, we, I could, it was cheaper to send them to Florida than to pay for them to stay home and eat. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, Two of them had went to Florida just with their mom for three days, and one went skiing in Quebec. And um, it was surprisingly cheap for us to do it. That's why I say that. Like, not everybody can do a, f a thing like that because you don't have Spirit Air and Priceline.com. But you don't need, they, they, and they went away at 13. And what we discovered, we didn't know this, but what we discovered was 13 is when a young man starts to say, I want independence from my family. And they guess who they start pushing against first? Mom, because nobody, I, I want to be a man. I'm not a, a boy anymore, and I'm no mama's boy. And so they, they want to be like their dad and spend time with him, but they want to push away from mom, at least in front of people, because they don't know how to deal with the emotions on the inside. They're growing up. They're becoming independent. And so spending three days with your mom on an adventure, going down water slides and going to basketball game just cemented that relationship with them. We didn't realize how important it was. Now, you don't have to go to Florida. Again, pick three days at a cheap hotel. You'll have great stories. It's going away. It, you might pick, uh, go to Toronto. We might go to Ottawa and go spend some time, just the three of you, or the two of you, just one-on-one. -on -one. It's amazing the impact that had. Now, the 18, you know, 8, 13, and 18, I blew it. I never did take them on their 18 trip. They're still mad at me. Because, like, well, actually, I, I was going to take my oldest son to where my dad grew up in northern Newfoundland. He was at 18. I don't want to go to Newfoundland. And I asked him three or four times, I don't want to go to Newfoundland. And I finally said, fine, you won't go. And so then the other two were like, when they got 18, we would have liked to go. <laughs> and so I owe them all a trip, I think. And I wish I'd done this more. Not big trips that I couldn't afford, but simple things. Because the time together on an adventure just cements you in a way. Do you know, I don't know if you know this, but Ontario has some of the best provincial parks in the world. And you're allowed to go to them. And it's amazing what... What, getting poison ivy and getting cold and sleeping like with your back on the ground, how that bonds you with your kid. I, I haven't figured that formula out yet, but it just seems to work. <laughs> it's structuring your life so that there are things in your life, whether daily, weekly, yearly, or special, that allow you to spend time with your child.
and copious amounts of time are required to build a relationship in which they will trust you and receive the influence of your life. And the time with them maximizes your influence. Absence minimizes it. Time. Just time. Time maximizes your influence. So, I want to end this whole series with two thoughts. First, I want to end with this. You, you can't, you're not going to get better by just coming and listening to a sermon on parenting. You've got to take something from the series and apply it to your life. Whether it's a book I recommend it that you read on how to be a parent. It doesn't matter if you're a single parent or you're, you know, you're, you're, you've got a home where mom and dad are, you're parenting, and it doesn't matter how old your kids are, there are books that help you parent well, whatever stage you're at. You've got to do that. Or you've got to say, I'm going to implement some of those time things into our lives, especially the daily ones. Or I'm going to to become more creative in my discipline. Or I'm going to make sure that I ratchet back so I have time with my kids. Or I'm going to pray constantly because my goal is to help my child come to Jesus. And so I'm going to be in prayer more. Whatever it is, you have to choose something that will change and make you a better parent. Because you won't be a better parent just by listening. In fact, you'll probably feel more guilty down the road because you heard and never did, and now you feel guilty. And so let me talk about that too. The second thing I want to talk about I, I, I realized in preaching this sermon that some of you who have older children, this has been a source of guilt and heaviness for you. Because you're looking back and you're going, my kids aren't where I think they should be. They're not even following Jesus. I don't even know if they care about Jesus. And so this sermon series is just a reminder to you of all the failure you did in the most important area of your life. And once you get older, you realize, yeah, that is one of the most important areas of my life. So let me have a, I I wrote down a few thoughts because I wanted to say them well. To you, I would say, the only perfect parent ever to exist is God and his first two kids blew it. Apparently, even if you were a perfect parent, it never guaranteed that your kid would turn out right. Did you ever stop to think about that? Even if you had been perfect, your kid might be just where they're at right now. Because the only perfect parent His first two blew it on him. And we continue to uphold that tradition as sinners, don't we? Don't we at times fail God? So being a perfect parent can't be what parenting is all about. Second thing I would say, we are not held accountable for the decisions that our independent children make. Our children get to a point and a level where they start making their own decisions and it just keeps growing and growing and growing until they're out of the house. It's not when they get out of the house that they're independent. They start to become independent like when they start to walk. 
And then you let them make decisions and you, because that's how they grow up. And as they're making more and more decisions, we're not held accountable for decisions that they're capable of making and should be making. We are held accountable for the responsibility that God gave us. Did we parent well? Did we do what we could for our child? Remember, you're not perfect, so did we do what we could? Feeling guilty that your children are not walking with God is a false guilt unless you did the things that drove them there. If you pushed them there, well, yeah, it's, you, you should feel bad about that. But if you tried your best to teach them about Jesus and they chose not to, that is not on your head. And so you need to get rid of that false guilt. I, it, regret, fear, I get those other things, but I'm talking about guilt. You were never, God never holds you accountable for the decisions your independent children make. He holds you accountable. Did you use the time and the gifts I gave you to influence them? That's how he will look at you. So get rid of the false guilt. Or if you did do things bad that contributed, in your opinion, to their going astray or not being where they should be, then humble yourself and apologize to God and to them. It is amazing what a truly humble apology from a parent accomplishes in the heart of a child. It will be the first step toward reconciliation. The third thing I would say is prayer is the most underused and underestimated resource we have as parents, especially parents of adult children. Just look at your life and ask yourself, do I really pray for my children? And then if not, ask, well, why not? Is it because you don't believe God is at work in their life and that your prayers matter? Is that you're discouraged? Because sometimes you're praying for years and years. I have a friend who says, I've been praying for years for my kids. Some of them aren't walking with God. I fully expect God to answer my prayers when I'm dead. I'll be gone and God will answer those prayers. That's a long-term view of praying. And so pray, pray, pray. And their story isn't finished yet. I said this before. Their story isn't finished until they're finished. And most likely, not in all cases, but most cases, you'll be finished before they're finished. And your prayers continue because God has heard them and he will work. Prayer changes us so we can see what God is doing, but it also changes them. In the end, what your children do is between them and God. The four principles I shared with you are the means to bring them to God and then trust God to do the work in their life. You can't make decisions about God for your kids. That's a hard thing. But these principles enable you to influence them because our ultimate goal is to see them make Jesus their number one priority. No one has more influence than we do on our children. Discipline takes foolishness out of their heart that would lead them away from God and leaves room for wisdom to be planted in that turns a heart toward God. And time maximizes your influence on them so that you can embed in their hearts the truth 
and the influence to love God. And you can do it. Because God set it up for us to be able to do it. And so I want to close on this, that um, Solomon's train up a child in the way you should go, and when he is old, he'll not depart from it. I, I don't think that is really the proper translation of that. I think it's train up a child in the way he should go, and when they are older, they can't forget it. Your influence when they were three and seven and 15 may come to fulfillment when they're 55, 65, 75. It's the way life works. Sometimes the most influential things we do lay in the ground of their heart for years and decades and then bear fruit. Often when we're not even around. So, whether, whatever age your child is, train them up to know God and then watch him work in their lives. Or no, better let him work in their lives. So I want to bow, I want you to bow in prayer. I want to close this series. And if you want to recommit your parenting to God, then I'm just going to ask you to stand right now. Just go ahead and stand. If there's something that God said, I want you to do this, then stand to say, God, I heard you and I intend to do it. Give me the grace to do that. Or if you're like, I just want to be a better parent. And so you want to say to God, I just want to be a better parent. Then you can stand. Or maybe you have a heart that goes, God, I grieve over the hurt in my family. And I'm standing to ask you to heal it. Or God, I grieve over what I missed. And I'm asking for you to heal it. And so feel free to stand if that's something that God has put on your heart. And by your standing, you're just simply saying, God, I heard you. This is my prayer to you. I call out on you. It's an act of faith. And so let me pray for you as parents. Jesus, you see the people standing and their heart. That there's nothing like a child that stirs our heart. And we want so desperately to be great parents, whether they're young and just infants or toddlers or they're in their middle years or teenage years or they're, they, they got their own families, we still want to be great parents. And God, you see the people and you know the hearts of those that are standing here today. And for some, it's grief and regret and guilt that causes them to stand. Would you bring healing in their relationships? Would you bring hope for them? For others, it's just, I want to be a great parent. I want to do, I got parenting a long years ahead of me and I want to do it well. Would you show them specific steps and affirm them in the desire that you have given them? Thank you for the gift of children. Lord, there's some here that either couldn't have children or didn't have children. Father, I commit them to you that whatever is in their heart, whatever they're facing, May the principles of this uh, teaching encourage them that you are at work in our lives, regardless of what it is that we have or do not have. And so, Lord, we commit ourselves to you, and we ask for you to, pr to move in our families and lead our children.